Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 15 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. Now, as many of you know, this podcast series is about immersive theatre and performance. I go out and about to pin down immersive theatre makers, producers and performers in their various creative sites to chat to them about the work that they do. So without further ado, I will let you get at the episode. So I am here at the Brighton Fringe Festival and it's 2017 and we are at the Warren and I am with John Gracie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so I've just experienced Werewolf Live, which is uh, new for me on in, in two ways. I've never been to that kind of live gaming experience before mm-hmm. and I've never played Werewolf before okay. either. So I was a newbie across yeah. the board. So for the listeners listening, they might be like, what is she talking about? So. John, first of all, can you tell everybody a bit about yourself, your background, and sort of what got you into doing this? Sure. So um, I uh, was, for many years, joined a sketch troupe uh, when I left uni to kind of cut to the performance side. Where did you go to uni? I went to Durham University. And so there was this kind of mini hotbed of lots of comedians like Mish Kumar and Nazar Zmanalu and Stevie Martin and they were all kind of in the Durham Review together and this kind of this big sketch scene and I missed all of that because I was busy doing musicals um, <laughs> but then I, then I when I graduated a friend of mine who had done I did one one or two kind of Shakespeare things yep. mainly because they were directed by someone who directed a musical I was in and so I auditioned okay. I got the part of Imp 2 because <laughs> they, they split Puck into different characters and it, so it was like literally the bottom of the bill and then someone got ill or couldn't do a thing or something so I ended up being Demetrius Anyway, the guy who I did that show with, Adam Blompier, who is bizarrely enough now does like professional wrestling commentary videos. Okay. I don't actually, I should really know what it is because I worked with him for years, but after we after we left the sketch group, he did all this stuff. Anyway. One of my students actually at the moment is a professional wrestler. Wow. Weirdly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's this strange, One of my second years. It's this strange kind of world that I look at, I think, the way that a lot of comedians' parents look at their jobs, where they're like, people like it, and that's nice, but I don't understand it. That's kind of how I feel about wrestling. It's like, I'm glad you enjoy that, and he's doing very well. Well, it's very performative, actually, isn't it? From what I understand, I don't know a great deal about wrestling, but from what I understand, it is about characterisation and performance and all of those things. Um, (laughs) So I was in a sketch group with, so Adam Blompier from the Beatermales, well, from Durham University. I joined a sketch group with him when I left, and we did that for about six years um, and so I went to Edinburgh loads I learned loads about performing and particularly comedy and got really into kind of genre stuff and we mm-hmm. did very pulpy kind of narrative sketch comedy um, and so I really developed this love for kind of for genre which I think is where Werewolf comes from because it's very infused with silly kind of horror tropes and lots of, lots of kind of uh, hammer horror kind of things um, then I went for many for about two years I went traveling with my partner Viv um, and we both became freelancers and so kind of worked from our laptops and lived in lots of countries all over the world. Um, and one thing that was a constant for me there was games. I, I got a couple of card games as presents that I took with me. Yeah. Uh, one of them was Coup, which is this really good kind of bluffing game. It's a bit like poker. We have these different roles that you can lie about, you know, kind of two cards Ooh. in front of you. And they can be any cards in the deck, but you yeah. have to convince the other players that they are the cards that you say they are in ah, order to do various okay. things. It's really great. I love bluff um, games. We, my grandparents had Call My Bluff. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, kill everyone. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> any game where you have to pretend and lie. Mm, I'm exactly. Like, Absolutely. Um, so I got really into that. Uh, and just this kind of board game renaissance kind of side hit me sideways. And suddenly that I just was, became aware of all these board games that had been made in the last maybe five or ten years that yeah. really like scratched an itch for me. 
Um, but because we were traveling, I could only have very small things because we traveled with just hand luggage. Yeah. Um, so I just had a couple of card games. And then we were at a conference in Turkey. God, I'm, this is a really long convoluted. Maybe you want to cut this. <laughs> no, it's and fine. <laughs> we got to a conference in Turkey and there were some Germans there, people from all over the world, uh, for people who worked from their laptops. It was kind of a community building thing for that. The two Germans were like, hey, we should play some games tonight. We really like this game, Werewolf, which is apparently quite big in Germany. Okay. Um, and they, you spent some time in Germany, right? Yeah, my yeah. dad was in the RAF uh, for 28 years. And right. for 15 of those, we lived in Germany on and off. Right. Yeah. Is, that, is that true at all that Germans like werewolf? Is it just these two Germans? I have no idea because um, my dad and mum were out there before I was born. They came back to England to have me. Right. Then we went back out there and I was there when I was little and then I came back to England to go to boarding school. So, oh, right. I, yeah, I spent loads of time going between right. the, the, like, the two different countries. Right. <laughs> so there was, really there was someone the other day. But they do love Halloween. I do know that. Right. Okay. Halloween is like a big deal there. Really? Not in the American way of being a big deal, but yeah. it is all about, it's not all about kind of sweets and just dressing up. Yeah. It's kind of anything wow but it's really about kind of those sort of wiccan right. yeah it's more pagan stuff yeah much more pagan wow. much more pagan That's i loved great. it so when i came back to england i was like what's halloween here i'm like why are people dressed as fairies <laughs> yeah it's meant to be, be like grim and grim grisly. and scary and yeah. grisly yeah wow okay so we i'm sure i was flying someone or was chatting to someone the other day who was like oh well oh someone in vivs choir I don't know why I'm telling you all this. There's so much extraneous detail. <laughs> Somebody in Viv's Choir, who was German, was like, oh yeah, werewolf. I was telling her about the show. She what went, do they call it? I think I is it actually just, have no just idea. Werewolf? I don't know what the German for werewolf is. Oh, um, no, I don't either. Yeah, that's a good I question. should probably know that. Yeah. If anyone is listening and you know uh, what the German for werewolf is, or if it's called werewolf in German, or if yeah. they just say werewolf, yeah. let us know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a really long, convoluted way of saying I very, got, very much got into games, but we didn't have, at this conference, we didn't have access to any of the cards, so I, I literally just make, wrote down the roles on some bits of paper uh -huh. when I looked up the rules online, and then was like, oh, this looks fun, I reckon I can do this with a bit of pizzazz, because I had been doing comedy for so many years. Absolutely. Hadn't done any of that for ages, because I've been travelling, so I kind of think I had this real itch I needed to scratch. And so I just like pulled my shirt up over my head, and we had this big, long conference room in this hotel in Turkey, and I just the show as it is now just appeared on that one night okay. where I got people in and we used candles and music and I yep. had to project my laptop up to the projector to have a big fireplace from YouTube like oh, you know, great. Eight -hour fireplace okay. videos. so I was able to kind of create this scene this kind of world on a very small budget with stuff I could carry in my bag yep. and that's basically where Werewolf came from and I've, oh. that was November 2014 so I've just I've run it just like hundreds of times mm -hmm. for like friends and family and different conferences and for businesses and for private functions and so great. I just like know it inside out and I love it. Uh, and then last year, uh, probably Viv, most of the good ideas I have come from Viv. I have. Um, <laughs> Isn't she, that the we? Yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> and, she, and she is my director. So uh, for a long time, she was just coming up with all the best ideas. And I was like, you should really be officially the director here. Uh, she, someone probably her, came up with the idea of doing it as a stage show. And then we did it at the vaults in February. Yes. Um, Paul Flannery, who runs Memorial the Live, another. Um, Kind of game-based shows was yep. doing a week of game sh of kind of game e shows, and he I was telling him about the show that I had done uh, in Sydney. So right, God, I'm sorry, Phil, no, this is really rambling. It's fine. In 2015, I lived in Sydney for the entire year, and at the end of that year, I'd run well for lots of times for friends. I decided to, to decided to turn it into a theatre show, and we had about 25 people, and it was a big. Uh, theatre at Sydney Uni where you could like draw on the walls with chalk and it was a very oh, kind of great. open space great. so we turned it into a proper village and we had all these tables with uh, placemats decked out and we brought people oh. in and gave them food so they started the night oh, fabulous. as if they were in the village and a, an actor friend of mine played the mayor who was just kind of this 
bumbling, like jovial man saying about how there hasn't been a whale attack for hundreds of years, like playing up the hubris angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a really good actor and kind of sold Great. it as this this kind of silly but real village. Um, yeah. And there was a town song that we wrote, so my, my co-creator, Pierce, uh, Pierce Wilcox, who writes a lot of opera and stuff, he would play the piano as they came in and we sang the town oh, song. And it was all this big kind of atmospheric yeah, thing, which then turned into the game as well. But that proved to be very impractical, not only because a lot of venues you aren't allowed to just make food in them. Yeah, that is a massive issue. It was just a, a big, it was a lot of extra stuff. So we kind of boiled it down to just the game. Uh, so oh sorry, so the so the mayor would come in. He would everyone had dinner. Then the mayor would start talking to them and go right. The reason I called you all here today is and then Pierce came in dressed as a well and murdered him in front of the town. Oh okay. And then he disappeared. Okay, yeah, and then yeah. I come in in my cloak as I do now as a ghost. And the joke that I came up with was that I'm the joke. I'm the, the joke. I'm the ghost of Peter, <laughs> even though he's like a six foot five tall Dutch man. Yeah yeah. And it was like I'm much smaller but with a much bigger cock. Was yeah, the yeah. was the joke I ended yeah, up saying. Yeah. It was that kind of show. Um, so that is the kind of early show that it was and it, okay. from then it's I've kind of shaved it off and like narrowed it down a bit and just yeah. kind of often we've only got an hour so it literally has to be Absolutely. here's the in rules and out, in and here's out. let's play and it is just kind of playing the game but with a narrator who's me so for people listening who might not know werewolf i i certainly didn't before mm. i looked into it so do you want to very quickly explain yes the game i'll be much quicker this <laughs> what time. is werewolf so uh <laughs> werewolf is a game for usually about 10 to 15 players and uh you bring them one someone is a moderator who doesn't play which is what i do in the show and i bring 10 people up from the audience but you can just play it with friends at your house and everyone gets a card which will either say village or werewolf on it and if you are a werewolf, your goal is to remain hidden from the villagers in the discussions that follow. So you, uh, and as a villager, your goal is to find out who the werewolves are. And so yeah. the game is a kind of bluffing and deduction game as you chat to one another and try and figure out who is killing people because every turn of the game, there's a nighttime and a daytime. And in the nighttime, the wolves get to pick one player to kill secretly while everyone else has their eyes closed. <laughs> so it's a game of fewer people with knowledge of each other trying to deceive the larger group without the knowledge of who's who yeah so that's the kind of the fundamental dynamic and i moderate it and will wear a clothes and do a silly voice and so like a dungeon master yeah in exactly. some respects yeah uh, and we have music and candles and kind of dress up the village a bit and it's yeah, okay. a kind of live experience of a pre-existing board game so it's a bit like wink murder as well in yeah. some respects it's that kind of Definitely. deceitful kind of yeah. people as you go <laughs> yeah um, and it very much feels like a more performative version of it because people are playing on stage in front of an audience so yeah. at home you're just with your friends trying to deceive them whereas here you're much more like I am putting on a show for not only the people playing but the people watching yeah. so there's a slight extra level of kind of self-awareness there. well there's been a big move um, across the board actually with this with people watching people play games mm. at home live streamed it's like a big thing, but also people live watching people play games, yeah. live streaming as well of the pe yeah. live people watching people play the game live. So this is, <laughs> that sounds really com way more complicated than it actually is. Yeah. But yeah, there's been a massive shift in that. And why do you think there's this huge appetite, one for people watching other people play games, mm. and two, this kind of live gaming. Yeah. Sort of shifting out of people's living rooms was, into this. Yeah, I was, I was chatting space. to Viv about this this afternoon and it was like, got games that began as kind of I mean I don't know much about the like ancient history of games but kind of modern history you have kind of parlor games where people would play with just a few people mm -hmm. in a room and it would be a very intimate experience yeah. then 
Well, even the Ouija board was was actually a parlour game. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. We, yeah, it? you'd invite your mates round. Right. Well, the Victorians yeah. would invite their mates round yeah, yeah. and play Ouija boards. Right, okay. So even that kind of started as yeah, this sort of parlour game, which is why it's interesting that that's kind of come back again as mm-hmm. this... Victorian parlour seance and those yeah, sorts of things yeah. have become massively popular again yeah. as well. So yeah, so yeah. so I was kind of charting this. So you you start with parlour games and then you move games are kind of very early adopters of technology. Mm-hmm. And so you've got I'm a huge video game fan, so a lot of my kind of interest lies and rules and ways in which you can help mechanics. play. Yeah, mechanics exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then you go to a kind of Video games start to bring in this technology and you have kind of competitive games like uh, Pong or like Space War, these games where it's one or two people playing each other. Then you get the arcades and suddenly you have a kind of spectator sport where mm-hmm. arcades are really like about people watching you play. Like that was part of the big appeal of, of yeah. people chasing high scores. So you've got that element and then it kind of in the 90s moves into kind of in back into the home with consoles like a Super Nintendo or a Mega Drive where you play on your own and you have your own experiences so kind of technology has brought games into that and then with the internet suddenly you are able to watch other people play and that kind of spectator mode comes in globally and that's really interesting but it's like the game has kind of evolved and now it's almost going back again to Mm -hmm. having people enjoying these intimate experiences yeah and Viv made this amazing point. I wish it was mine, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was um, games were very quick to adopt technology. Yes. And they're now kind of discarding it. Yeah. In a certain way, with stuff like this. Oh, what was the point? It was better than that. It was to do with like like some things are really kind of embracing technology now, and games are almost going the other way. Yeah. Like it used to be that you sat in front of your screen on your own playing games, and now it's stuff like this is, and there's a big appetite for watching people play, and it being yeah. a much more communal experience. I don't know what to make of that, but no, me neither. But it is really interesting that there is there is this massive appetite, and I think it's yeah. about engagement and connection. Yeah, I think so. And I think that kind of lone console, it, it is exactly that, isn't it? It's that kind of lone. And I think the more and more we have screens in our lives, and the more and more we're kind of isolated through technology, I think yeah. we're starting to genuinely go, hang on a minute, yeah. this is all great, and this does connect me in a just kind of digital way. But actually, yeah. I'm still craving being in a room with people yeah. and doing the, something yeah because <laughs> the thing for me pl- growing up playing a lot of video games on my own was that I liked being in those worlds uh, yeah. and I think in some ways there's this kind of certainly with older games which are more made by a much smaller team there's much more of a dialogue with the creator because yes. these games have a very strong identity yeah. and you're kind of this, it's a world that you can really kind of get into whereas I think certainly modern games are very like designed and very kind of the edges are sanded off because it's got to make millions of pounds yeah yeah so it's to make so it's back. less i think there are the indie scene is still really interesting because there's course. individuals and small teams making games but in terms of blockbuster games they're often less interesting so you've kind of gone away from that individual experience which is quite satisfying and real to much more, I think, homogenised gaming experiences. Well, my partner, he's a massive gamer too, right. uh, and he just says they're just so easy now. He's like, you mm. know, you pay 50, 60 quid for a game and you complete it in 12 hours. Yeah. He said stuff that used to take him weeks of sat, day yeah. after day after day, to complete. Yeah. And now he said that, you know, this even the same sort of game franchises mm. are still just easy and there's not a lot yeah. of extra to do. Or, or often they just fill it with nonsense yeah like you just have busy work which isn't gameplay it's just yes. kind of I hate content. the um, I used to love Tomb Raider mm. 
uh, and I, I enjoyed the fact that I could do everything, do all the, all the, the puzzles and all of those things. And I think, mm. sorry, whoever makes Tomb Raider now, but um, Square Soft. Yeah, Square Enix, Yeah, yeah. One of those. I hate all that press X now, press triangle now, and all mm. the, the FMV, and I'm just like, I'd quite like to play rather than sat yeah. watching well, that's the computer do it for me. There's been a real, there's been a real move in some regards towards games being very kind of cinematic and adopting a lot of cinematic yeah, tropes. Yeah, but I find that frustrating. Yeah, in blockbusters, because the reason that games are so special is that you get to play, and there should be this really interesting mechanic at Absolutely. the heart of the game. Yeah. But often, okay. I think. Sorry. Oh, no. Yes. So, okay, we're just going to move that yes. in a minute, not just yeah. That's fine. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, you get a lot of games that are designed to be kind of consumed very easily, and there's not yes. much friction there because they want people to complete Uncharted. Exactly, and they want the them to be accessible, I think, as well. Because my yeah. brother um, is also a gamer, mm. and he used to love Resident Evil back in the day when it was really hard. Mm. And I found that actually very inaccessible in certain yeah. because I couldn't control it. I couldn't even get past the first yeah. five minutes without dying for about three hours, and I'd get I'd be like. But me and my brother used to team up, so he used to play, because oh. it was hard, because he yeah. wasn't so good at all. Because back in the early games, you had to make sure you put your knife in this particular point. Oh at my this god, you had the single item boxes. Yeah, so I used to sit with a notepad. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and that's I'd really write it all cute. down and I'd strategize, and he would control the character. That's great. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. that was, and we used to, ridiculous all-nighters and oh, things, sat in my parents' living room. Well, this, but that's the thing. I often have experiences like that where you play a game with someone else in the room and it becomes, there's something about like busying your mind with a task yeah. that allows the kind of back of, I'm not, clearly I'm not a psychologist, allows the back <laughs> of your brain to just get on with kind of yeah. bonding or communicating and like, exactly. I love playing a game that I know quite well with someone else and we just talk yeah. and you're kind of, your brain is busied with playing the game yeah but actually I have a, my friend Jay uh, my old school friend probably the only person I still see from my school days regularly we don't see each other very often maybe like once a month once mm -hmm. a two months he comes over and we play games and we just talk but games is the thing that the we thing, do yeah that enables yeah kind of that baseline and, and this is what I love about games is there's something about them that breaks down that awkwardness or mm. like that there's a part of I think most people which when you meet them you are I think you have a certain kind of barrier or a certain kind of, I don't know, a certain, uh, a certain kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, a, a with, a withholding. But well, there's always a withholding, isn't there, when yeah. you meet someone, because it takes something to break, not break the ice, but something to make a connection. Mm. And I think sometimes mechanics and games, yeah. well, hence drama games. Mm, it's exactly. so funny when you go into loads of different contexts. Especially being someone who teaches drama at university yeah. level, I use all those things. But whenever you go to anything, whenever I go to conferences or team building things, the first thing they do is a game. And this is it. This is when I realised that Werewolf was a thing I wanted to do regularly. Yeah. I decided to play it at Christmas. And my family are not gamers. My parents oh. just never play games. My we grandparents play games at Christmas. Well, yeah, because your family are clearly really games. cool. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine don't. And so I've all long been frustrated because like, we don't. We get on fine, but it's not like we have loads to talk about. Yeah. So games would just fit that kind of void perfectly. Yes. Um, but instead, often just the TV's on. So then I'm on my laptop, and we're not really talking or yeah. whatever. Um, but then one Christmas, I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna force us to play Werewolf because they'll love it, and they did. And suddenly, my kind of, you know, fairly like, not austere—that's the wrong word—but like buttoned-down middle-class English parents uh, and my grandparents, so like my 88-year-old grandmother and father on yeah, my mum's yeah. side, 
and a few others were just playing this game and it was like the show tonight and we had some candles and a bit of music and Great. I did that stupid voice and I had probably yeah. a hoodie on or something That's in my fabulous. in our dining room yeah. and immediately there was just this like loosening and everyone yeah. started to have fun and jostle with each other and my mum and my granddad turned out and so her dad turned out to be the two werewolves and they just were a great team and no one suspected them and my brother was killed immediately and my mum was saying but I could never kill my baby it couldn't be me and just like yeah, bullshitting right. and, but it worked because she was she's a very like sweet and like, yeah. um, and lovely woman who can get away well could, could normally would say that and it would be totally true but mm-hmm. in a gaming context she can use that and that's really funny to me yeah. and so her and her grand and her dad won and the, and so I did a whole like right well was make yourselves known and the noise that they came up with the roar it was it was blood curdling I bet you were like Mom. I was terrified <laughs> and I had never seen her or my granddad be anything like that and so just wow. to give them permission to be silly yeah. yeah because I'm kind of taking on all of the silliness myself I've got a cloak on there's candles I do a stupid voice everyone yeah. feels like I'm not gonna look as stupid as that guy so I can do whatever <laughs> I want it kind of just yeah. gives them that platform to be well, a bit silly every Everything in our adult lives sort of pushes us away from that thing which we do with my children, which is to play. Mm. And I think that's, I think maybe that's one of the things that makes gaming uh, so popular. I think it's one of the things that makes immersive participation in any kind of performance or theatre popular. Mm. It's because it's that permission to play. Yeah. And as adults, we don't, I mean, we do because we work in the performing arts, we yeah, get to play all the time. <laughs> So we're basically just big kids the yeah. whole time, which is fabulous. But mm. a lot of people don't get that opportunity in their life. And I think yeah. this kind of thing enables that, yeah, that really, idea of play. Yeah, I really think so. Which and, is um, quite fun. And one of the branches of Werewolf is I do the live shows and I do these kind of supper clubs where people come to our house. Uh, oh, great. And Viv will cook because we're a stereotypical couple. I do cook as well, but uh, generally Viv will cook and I'll run I the game. I cook as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, and it's kind of, we have dinner together as a group and then we play Werewolf. And that's a really nice thing that we do it doesn't make much money but it's like it's a nice way to meet people yeah, yeah. and it's, I really enjoy doing it and where are you based? we're in we live in East London but okay, we are okay. moving potentially down to Brighton in November ooh Maybe. that's exciting um, ooh yeah so so we do that and we do the live shows and I do private bookings for like birthdays and things where I go to people's houses Great. Um, but I'm also doing corporate stuff which is because you were talking ooh. about team building earlier absolutely like this game for people in an office who may not have that much chance like you were saying to kind of be playful and be childish yeah. uh, I've worked with a number of or companies. even to connect with their colleagues in yeah. that way because when you're in a work environment I mean I work in a crazy work environment so yeah. <laughs> it's not like most people yeah. but if you work in an office there are people you don't talk to and the people don't communicate with yeah. in that way and I think you're right these things break down those barriers yeah and it's also a really levelling thing in terms of hierarchy mm. like you are all villagers and you are all Absolutely. potentially werewolves so I did one for a company in Brighton, a maker club, and I the first turn they killed their CEO. <laughs> I didn't. I'd actually been chatting to him without realizing he was the CEO, which is good because I would have been much more nervous. You'd be like, oh, yeah. But they killed oh, him, yeah. and the other. So one of them pointed, and the other one was new. It was his first. The reason they were running the session was he was really new to the company. He, oh. he went there for like a day, and his face because they had their eyes open was just <gasps> he just gasped like silently gasped oh, as the God. CEO got killed, and the and the person who killed him was just like. Yes. And um, it's this really nice way of people being able to like, it's not like there was any aggression there, but it was just like, it's nice to exist without this hierarchy for a few hours because that normally exists. You can't get rid of it. It's just what it is. Exactly. Um, And I think that's really cathartic, not in a like releasing aggression way, but in just a, this is a, this is a neutral space. Mm -hmm. That's the game rules, I think, facilitate that in a really interesting way. Well, I mean, I write about this a lot, but 
it's that that liminal space, that space that's, that's not reality, but it's not yeah, I'm a fictitious space. I meant to email in about what liminal meant because yeah. I heard it on a few podcasts. I know. Everyone... I haven't got to the end yet. <laughs> I don't know if you've done a mini so on it yet. No, I. Everyone keeps bugging me about this. Yeah. It, it, things are crazy busy, but hopefully yeah. in June when they settle down a bit, okay. I'm going to try and do one about dramaturgy because I mention it all the time, mm-hmm. and I constantly talk about liminal and liminoid space. So people are probably like, "What is yeah. she talking about?" I should probably just look it up. But... <laughs> I, I will. I will definitely. I promise. I'm gonna do it live. I'm talking about you've it now. It so it's, you've heard it here. I will do some little minisodes on some of the terminology right. that I keep using. Yes. Um, sorry, you're saying liminal space. So that you don't have to read massive journal articles. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think, and that's what they do. They create this this kind of space that's betwixt and between right. the everyday of their normal experience, mm. but also then has the potential for new discoveries to happen kind of in that space yeah. because it's not real but it's not entirely fictive either yeah. because you're really there as yourself so yeah. but it has that kind of potential because everyone's equal in a liminal space yeah. because the normal rules don't apply the new mm. rules of whatever you're engaging in in that moment apply yeah. and I think that's really exciting yeah. so there's been a massive increase in kind of this kind of gaming and also some of my friends and colleagues are now working to employ it for social change as well in terms of using gaming as a way of looking at ethics and morals that's interesting yeah i went to a show by my friends nat and joe um who are the lab collective and they've just done a show called incoming uh exodus exodus yeah incoming exodus Mm -hmm. i better get that right (laughs) (laughs) um but that again was a game-based mechanic yeah. but you were making decisions about whether you're going to accept people into your community or not right. so and there's a lot of gaming yeah. coming up out of this it's sort of tabletop based games where people yeah. come they inhabit the rules and the mechanics yeah. but actually there's this real kind of sort of political yeah, or ethical that's thing that sits underneath um, that that so. reminds me of the, the best bit of domestic theatre I've ever seen I actually haven't seen that much because I've been travelling for so long I haven't yeah, had access yeah. to it but in Brighton last year there was a show called Operation Black Antler which was blast theory and hyper yes i didn't get along to it unfortunately something like that i was looking up today but uh did did you hear about it It yes i did so yeah for for the listeners you went into a pub in order to kind of um you were supposed to decide if a group of uh, white nationalists white supremacists were a threat to Mm -hmm. were a terrorist threat basically were they were they blowhards or were they actually dangerous and so you had to go into a pub full of ostensibly racist white people and try and be one of them so you had to basically act racist and the actors were amazing they were so it's my worst nightmare I heard so many things about this show it was so good because I having grown up in like conservative white Essex Mm -hmm. like I know people like that like lots of people like that and what was even worse was I could very easily pretend in this show I was very easy to slip in and my accent would change a little bit and I would just yeah. be looser with the things that I said. Yeah. And I knew I was doing it in this instance because it was required for the show. Of but course. it made me think about how much I must do that to make sure people like me or to not offend or mm-hmm. any number of reasons. And so like the narrative of the show, I, I don't have too much memory of, but the way it made me feel and the way I felt like mm. I had I was complicit in yeah. being racist yeah. to try and see if racist yeah, yeah. people were bad yeah, yeah, it's exactly. just really uncomfortable in the best possible way it yeah. does it's challenging isn't it when you, yeah. and I've been to many pieces of work that have made me feel yeah. like that that have put me kind of in that position but then I think that's what's powerful about games and I think that's what's powerful about play yeah. where in it kind of any context in any context is because it's experiential yeah. and you and you remember it it touches you it gives you kind of those emotional memories and physical memories as well sometimes mm, and I think that is really really powerful yeah 
So that's very exciting. Um, So you're here in Brighton with this at the moment. Mm -hmm. Where else? uh, You mentioned very briefly earlier that you did this at the Vaults in London. So did you find that the audience has been very, very different in the different places that you have... I mean, tonight tonight we had a very rowdy crowd. Very rowdy uh, crowd. Which I was really surprised at. Because we... So we did Friday and Saturday last week. uh, And we're doing tonight, Friday, and then tomorrow, Saturday. And last Saturday was sold out in a really lovely crowd that were very warm. There was a couple of kids that came, even though it's supposed to be 14 plus, uh, with a dad. And so it is occasionally a sweary show, just if I feel like it. And I was suddenly like, oh my God, I need to stop swearing. Well, it's inhabited, and that's the the other risk, isn't there? Because it's up to the people participating as to what happens and how it goes. I I can't stop people swearing on stage, even though a few (laughs) of them did. But um, it made me think this would make an amazing kids show. I would love to do like a werewolf cubs. Oh my God. Maybe like 10, 11 year olds plus. I think because if they're younger. Kids love gruesome. Kids actually love gruesome stuff. I don't know why adults don't realise that. But they love it. Surely Roald Dahl has taught us that. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Yeah, I guess it's more about finding the right age group because I think if they were too young they they might get bored in the audience as well is my one worry if they don't get picked because kind of the games last about 20 minutes and they might cry as well minutes. it should be horrible yeah. but the kids we had they were both I think 11 and they were hilarious oh. this one kid was just like stroking his chin and like playing the detective <laughs> he was the seer but he didn't say that he was the seer so when people tried to kill him basically he was looking really guilty in the way he was talking and this one guy was just like look I'm just going to say what we're all thinking let's kill the kid and the whole audience cracked up wow. and then he killed the kid and it turned out that the kid was the seer so it was the worst Whoa. movie he could have done and the whole audience kind of was booing Tom but in a really nice yeah, way yeah. it's like oh no um, and so it really made me think that's great as a kid's show um, yeah absolutely and kids but, know um, how to play yeah definitely kids know how to play yeah, so they really surely good. they're the best audience yeah yeah exactly and they really got into it and he was totally sassing me as well this little kid like his candle had blown out and he was like oh what kind of show is this the two operation I was like right kill the kid <laughs> so it's one of those shows where you can really like play with the audience and Absolutely. you can give them as much sass back as they give you and something yeah. I love about it is who knows who's going to come up on stage And do you think that's because oh, it's always really challenging and I think there's a real risk involved being a performer or even uh, managing or being someone who uh, hosts these kinds mm. of events because you do never quite although you have a mechanic and you mm. have the rules yeah. that kind of marshal that the reality is, is you're making an invitation mm. to people you don't know to play. So yeah. sometimes you people respond in ways that you could never have yeah. imagined. Have you had any times when audience have just completely surprised you and um, responded in ways you had not anticipated? Well, actually, interestingly, so there's a kind of interesting like through line from the sketch stuff, which was like really rote. We would be like, this is the script, this mm-hmm. is locked in, these are how we deliver all our jokes, and it was very mechanical, and it's really hard for that to remain fresh which is why I love yes. doing this, because it's so loose. I have this Absolutely. spine of the show, which is the yeah. rules of the game and the way that each game plays out in terms of turns, but everything else is up for grabs, and that keeps me really interested in it. But there was, we used to put little bits of audience interaction into our sketch shows, mm-hmm. and we did a show called The Space Race, which was about a kind of secret history of how Britain had secretly gotten to the moon first in the 60s, but we had to cover it up for all sorts of silly reasons. Um, but the opening was my favourite thing we ever did, which was a kind of Apollo 13 rip-off, where, so the town, you, the, the, the audience were visiting the town of Lower Birchley, which is where the whole show was set mm-hmm. in this town, 
and uh, we were Morris dancers on stage, just dancing around and giving up, bringing the audience up to dance with us. And we would give them little trinkets, like you won the scampy hanky for being the best dancer or for being the, the best thrower, all of these things. And we gave them out to the audience, these trophies. Then the show started and we whipped off our moustaches and it turns out we were government agents in this military base. And then the kind of, the, the elevator went down uh, and everyone in the audience was actually here to uh, tour the facility. And so we're showing them this space facility and it's all, you know, it's all really fun and silly and pulpy. Um, and just as this starts, there's an alert and this, this space pilot is crash landing and suddenly we've got this disaster on our hands. And so the, the kind of convoluted setup is that in order to fix the system, we need these three items, Apollo 13 style, you know, when they're yeah, like yeah, fixing the spaceship yeah, with paper yeah, clips yeah, and yeah. tinfoil or whatever. It was that, but the three <laughs> items... in space. Exactly. It was that, but we needed really specifically material-based items that we had just given out to the audience. So we had to then call them Get and them say, back. we need a brass trophy and like whoever got the award for the thing and it was really fun and we kind of it was really over the top and we would look at them yeah, yeah. and be like huh come on and they would give it to them. We'd be like yeah and so this was this really fun scene and it was always a little bit audience playy because you never know quite what they were going to do even though it was no. all very heavily scripted and mm -hmm. there was only like a couple of things they could do but once our director's mum came and a preview at the Pleasance in Islington and just got hammered for some reason. Oh, God. So she, she was supposed to throw... One of the jokes was that you were supposed to throw the hanky and you were mocking the person throwing because it's impossible to throw a hanky. Of course it is, and yeah. So we'd all laugh at them and be like, you're terrible at throwing. Um, I think the line was, you throw like a girl because it was 2012. We've, we've moved on from that. Yeah. But I feel the urge to purge my soul about that line. That was what it was. Um, but uh, she, instead of throwing whatever item it was got up and started walking towards us and it was like the line was specifically like you gotta throw it because yeah. that was what no, the gag no, was no, no, and she was just like huh, huh? and we were like no oh my god what are you doing and then she just walked backstage with it and we were there like i don't know what to do because she's just gone off stage to the changing room i don't know what was going through her head but it was like come back we need that item this is a really important scene in the show and it was him the whole audience were just dying it was oh God. so funny well that's good at least yeah. i laughed. it worked really well and i came to love those moments when people just screwed it up because you could just be exasperated mm -hmm. and as long as you stay in character yeah which i can always do with the ghost character in the show he's always the stupid voiced character there's not not enough to lose of the characters you can pretty much say what you want yeah it's a really nice i love it when things go wrong because it's that improv principle of like <laughs> yeah, I, can exactly. just, I can just sass you so hard now exactly because everyone will be on my side um and we can give you some shit and you can give me some shit back and mm -hmm. then we can just carry on uh, and it's delightful. So I can't remember what your question was. That was probably the worst thing that happened in an interactive space. Do you think there's um, risk involved for the performer in kind of... Because obviously, usually, you have a script, you mm. have everything you're working off, and then this you're kind of sort of laying yourself. Yeah. You're kind of there and you have to just respond and react. Yeah. And I always have real difficulties with this, with how do you teach <clears throat> a student how to do that as mm. well because improv is different you can, I've got skills to give them for that but when it comes to this you know working with audiences in a mechanic in that way people can be I mean tonight actually you did have yeah. some really challenging audience yeah, members a, who I, were really pushing yeah it was a little bit aggressive I, I realized I should have turned that down a bit she was quite <laughs> difficult I was talking to Viv afterwards yeah but there's a risk isn't there in, in terms of your presence having to manage those yeah, things. I think, I think tonight is the worst it's ever been to be honest. Do you it? think? And it wasn't too bad but no, like, not generally, at all. generally people are lovely but um, it's interesting because I've listened to lots of your episodes and you talk about this idea that you can't teach this 
Mm. I agree, but I, I find it's one thing. I always struggled with sketch comedy because learning a line and delivering it the same way never really sat right with me. It felt yeah, yeah. boring after a while, even yeah. if it was funny at first. I trained as a, as a classical actor and right. it was never really... It's kind of dull. Sorry, actors and so comedians. So sorry, actors. It was just like, never enough for me. They yeah. were, like, the buzz wore off quick. Yeah, same with me. And so <laughs> I find with this show, I'm A, like, I feel like I'm really good at it. And it's partly because I've done it so many times. Yeah. I've seen everything, as far as I can tell, I'm sure. Well, sure confidence as well, happen. I think it comes with. Yeah. And this, how do you teach? Yeah. Because it's instinctual, I think. Yeah, it is. And you, that's, it's really nice for me to feel like, like with sketch, I was always trying really hard to be funny. Mm. Whereas with this, it's like, just see what comes up and I can yeah. react to it. And respond. And I yeah. think people really like that. And it yes. feels much cleverer than it is. I think because you're looking at someone going wow how did you come up with that but basically mm. it's just yeah like oh, it's, it's going to sound really arrogant now but I am I'm good at it and I really love it yeah that's and how I feel as well and it's, yeah. it's really a case of because my students ask me as well how do you perform like that how do you yeah. manage that in that one-on-one situation because I do one-on-one stuff mm. and I was like just, I've been doing it for a long time yeah and it, it's an instinct now yeah. and I think that's it how do you teach an instinct and I yeah. think it just comes with I don't want to say it's natural because that's an odd thing to say because I think everything eventually can be taught but it's trying to find how do you deliver that kind of confidence with that kind of knowledge of just having done it and done yeah. it well I, I and the instinct I think it is a natural instinct to be able to want to do that because this is yeah. some people's worst nightmare yeah <laughs> and yeah I love it for me, me too I'm it's so, so exciting. much more comfortable doing this than doing a sketch show that I'd rehearsed for months yeah because I know that I can deal with whatever comes up Mm-hmm. But not knowing that, what it's going to be, makes it really exciting to me. Yeah, me too. Um, I find it really exciting. But I, I, for, I was writing a, an MA piece years ago on comedians and comedy, and I interviewed a bunch of comedians, asked them a whole bunch of questions. And one of them, um, one of the answers, was, it was about like, what is funny? How do you make some, how, how are you funny? And he talked about, this is um, Sam Pamphlon, who now is one of the Go 8-Bit guys on Dave. Yeah. They're, they're great. Um, he talked about pub funny versus stage funny mm-hmm. and how different the two are. Like a lot of people can be pub funny because yeah. you are, uh, you've already got a warm audience and you're kind of interacting with people you know and stage funny. He's involved as well. Yeah. Actually. It's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> it's the people's face. Yeah. yeah. And, and then stage funny is this very kind of distant thing where you are kind of crafting something and you are winning over a cold yeah. crowd. And I think that I am more pub funny than I am stage funny. Like I am much more comfortable in a group being funny or gregarious or outgoing than I am crafting it because yeah. one feels really natural to me and mm-hmm. honest and the other feels, I can't escape the feeling that it's a bit dishonest. And yes. I know that you kind of have to accept that with all acting Absolutely. that you're pretending, but it never really worked for me because- Me too, yeah. and that's why I think I found my home in live art because for me, and I deal with rules in in a slightly different way to how you deal with rules, but it's still rules. Mm. So for me, no matter what happens, I have a structure, I have a mechanic, and I have a set of tasks yeah. that I have to work through. And so for me, there's always that. Mm. And so no matter what goes on in that space, yeah. I am fastidiously and dedicatedly mm. achieving the tasks with yeah. these other people. And so as long as we do that, however mm. we go about yeah, your, actually your spine doing that, is that, that's what drives it and that's what mm. pushes it. And I suppose that's what gives me confidence. But this is what I try, my students always resist. I always say, just once you've built your rules for your little one-on-one or whatever you're doing, mm. just trust them. But you have to 100% just give in to those rules. Those mm. rules will drive those mm. rules will carry you through it's when yeah. you don't trust your rules or you second guess your rules mm. or your mechanic yeah. that it will 
disintegrate. Yeah, and the audience can tell if you don't up. trust it. Yeah. yeah, and I think games fundamentally operate on mm. that premise of, well, we have the rules. And actually, it's and for someone who's experienced and, and used to doing it, it's actually sometimes when the rules break down or get bent really far, mm. that things become interesting and yeah, exciting. Definitely. Yeah. Like this evening, I thought there was a little bit of the audience pushing at some of that as well, mm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it was, it was a really strange show tonight. I've not experienced anything like it. But as a live show, I've only done it, this would be the fifth one I've done. Oh, wow. So it's okay. really yeah, I've, yeah. I've run the game like so many times, but with an audience, it is different because people yeah. are suddenly playing up to the crowd and behaving in a very mm. different way. I was going to ask you that would be my next question: is what's been the difference with just kind of playing the yeah. game in smaller context so, and people watching? Yeah, so with a in a small context, people generally just get really into it and they're kind of really looking at each other and they play the game a lot more. I think to win because there's much more at stake in a if you're in a small living room staring at each other across the table, it's a very intimate experience. Yes, and you're very much like you're really trying to read each other and, look and you at probably each know. Body language. Well, right? Yeah, and they're probably your friends, which makes it really different and really yeah. interesting. I was just did one for some friends last night, and um, a, a few of them were in couples, and they really could read each other. Well, you have history as well. That's yeah. the thing. You can read each I other. You have I history. I can't play with Viv. You have in jokes. She'll just go, look at me. Yeah, you're yeah, a werewolf. You're a werewolf. it's the worst, because I can't do <laughs> anything about it. The only time it works is if we're both werewolves, and then she can look at me and go, nah, he's safe. And everyone will believe her, because yeah, she's got course. built up a track record, and then we're fine. But other than that, I'm just screwed. It's really annoying. <laughs> no, I'd be the same if I was to play with my partner. That would be yeah. it, because we read each other so well. Yeah, which is really interesting in itself. Um, but then in the live show, I think there's a lot more... People are a bit more sassy, they're a bit more performative. They still yeah. want to win, but they want to win in a way, generally, that makes them look a bit cooler, a bit yeah, funnier. Yeah, or funny. But yeah. then some people are just like you know what I'm gonna win this game I don't care what people think but if you lose the audience you might lose the game so it's kind of you're dealing with because the whole game is about playing the group yeah and the good werewolves will be very reasonable and they'll agree with people mm -hmm. even if the people want to attack them and they'll be very logical and they'll go yeah I know what you mean even if they don't think this person is guilty they'll side with the right people they'll kind yes. of it's a really interesting watching people slowly kind of work the room and there's and that heckling as well that comes from well, the, the audience, which brings this whole different yeah. level. That doesn't always happen, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Tonight, tonight people are well-behaved, usually. Usually they're like, oh, I want to see where this goes. But you get the occasional oh. shout, but tonight they were really loud. I was going to say, um, they were villagers. Yeah, yeah, they really were. Um, yeah, there was, yeah, you will, the really good wells, yeah, will we'll work the room, but you now have to kind of take into account what the audience make of you and like it's not necessarily a bad thing the audience boo you because they might be booing you because you've killed their favorite but if you're right it doesn't matter yeah, as long yeah as you're a exactly. good player. Yeah. so it's that whole thing of like you've got this extra entity in the room to consider with who you're winning over and i think it's a kind mm. of less important one because the players are the ones that really make the decisions but it's still that's i think there and sometimes people's goal might just to be funny be funny so they just come up on stage and they don't play the game very well but, they, but they're funny they're funny and so people get out of it what what they want I think. what they put in i suppose yeah, and I mean, that's the thing in. about a mechanic isn't it is it, it mm. it's can stretch and inhabit yeah. you can inhabit it it yeah. requires you to inhabit because yeah. if they don't play if you don't have an audience you have no oh yeah well, give on, no show well on the friday we'd sold <laughs> so it's like a it's a 50 seat venue but we've removed some seats to put on stage so it's 46 yeah sold uh, sold um on the first friday i got down on thursday i didn't i'd done some facebook ads but i hadn't really flyed at all so we got yeah we got 13 sales but for some reason only eight people turned up which is really weird yeah we had a couple of sales and they didn't come at all and ours is really bizarre one on one which is even weirder yeah <laughs> that doesn't normally happen yeah so right like, you don't get but, green fans. <laughs> 
Yeah. So we got eight, Dead. but we only could fit eight on stage. Oh, so no. <laughs> well, it was great because those eight people, I was like, fine, you can just You get to stage, play the whole and time. And we'll just do three games. And they've got some, like five of them, I think, knew each other. There was a couple oh, that I'd fly okay. just beforehand who came. I was really glad I did because that made it around eight. Yes. But it was really intimate. And I just direct, they sat on stage and I just faced them the whole time. So it was as if there was no oh, audience. Wow. So it's what it would have been like in a private show. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was really, really tense and intimate and really fun. And we had a big chat afterwards and like had a mm -hmm. drink with them because it was a small group That's and great. really lovely. And it was a really fun show. And then the next night was completely sold out. And it was not as rowdy as tonight, but much more of a kind of vocal kind of sassier show for mm -hmm. want of a better word mm -hmm. and so it was almost like two entirely different experiences of the same show yeah. uh, both great both really fun but um, yeah if there had been fewer than eight it would have been a weird night yeah I was going to say what do you do when there are enough people to play the game thankfully it's never <laughs> happened but that wasn't my worry it was like if no one turns up or like even worse if like five people turn up yeah because then like, you need they're there they've bought a ticket yeah. you're like I've got to Give me something. You could probably play with five, but it would be really like, weird. It would be weird. You'd kill one of them immediately, and then it would be a one-round game. Would be one. Yeah, it makes me shiver just thinking about it. But um, but yeah. that's always the risk of this kind of festival context as well, mm. isn't it? And we we've been out flyering and everything, and trying to think it's of hard. different so things hard. to do. And like today, it poured with rain all day. Yeah, <laughs> I was I like, know. come on! I got out of the car, and it literally started hammering down. Oh. I was like, okay, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I'm not flyering today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to be back up later, handing right. out flyers, which is always lovely. But yeah, yeah there is that risk, it. isn't there? Yeah, Again, so you just never know. In a festival mm. context, exactly like you said, one night you have an audience, and the next yeah. night is completely different. Yeah. So you've always got to be able to respond. Mm. To the challenges of yeah. that. <laughs> but like, I'm sure you've covered this before, but like, yeah, if it's a play, you can perform it to two people. Those yeah. two people might have a brilliant time, but if it's... Or no people, even. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, yeah. But yeah, if, it's, if you need, if you require people, that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Yeah, because you need minimum of eight. Yeah. It's like with us, if we have to have one, otherwise there's nothing to happen. Yeah. It's not like I could just rehearse it by myself and think, oh, I'll have a little run through mm. if no one came, because yeah. I, there is no... Yeah. Run through. <laughs> yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, that's what's so great about yeah. the stuff that you do and that I do and all the people on this podcast do. It's like, it's connecting with people and it exactly. requires people to be there because that's what theatre should be, this live kind of visceral thing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we can watch Netflix or we can play video games exactly. or we can use our screens, which are great and I love that. But like, this is requiring human... In, like human put, input. Um, there's a really good board game website uh, called Shut Up and Sit Down um, who just review board games. And yes. this, uh, this guy, Quinn, who one of the people who runs it, uh, described board games as an engine that you put time into to create fun. Oh, which I is really that. great. That it is really, great. Because that's how I feel about any game, but also, like, that's how I feel about the show, is that... Oh, sorry, what am I talking about? That's how I feel about theatre. Like, yeah. you, you, any activity, you put your time into it and you hope that you, maybe not fun, you achieve some kind yeah. of result that you want. And I never heard it boiled down so simply as that. And it and really I think resonated in, with me. Oh, I certainly, in my lifestyle and a lot of my friends and my colleagues, time is the thing we're poor on now. Yeah. And so when you choose to give your time to something or to commit your yeah. time to something, I mean, that's something special when you get yeah. a whole group of people who are doing that together yeah again that's that's rare yeah and that's what makes it special and exciting and and a risk yeah too. yeah exactly the risk that it could be crap yeah um yeah <laughs> and we all have a limited time yeah to, to give to things so yeah, that's totally. exciting yeah um so i was going to ask you a couple of things i always ask everybody mm -hmm. um the first one is a kind of 
a slightly weird one, but I have this massive anxiety about documentation. Yeah. Um, which I've people who are listening are probably so sick of me talking about this now. <laughs> I think it's a really important thing. Like I'm thinking about it a lot in terms of video games. Yeah. Like, they have a a cartridge from the 90s that just degrades what yeah. happens to that do you keep it on cartridge or do you just download the, the like code and recreate it and recre- like, is well, that still the same thing I have a drawer full of floppy disks yeah. with stuff on like I used to write plays way back in the day mm. and the only place I have them now is on weird floppy disks yeah. that, and of course now you have to go to a specialist to get those right because you don't have a disk drive anymore. Anyway. So I don't have a disk drive yeah. I can't even remember the last PC I had that had a floppy disk yeah. drive yeah totally but I've still got them and I'm assuming the data is fine I mean it might not be it might be completely corrupted mm. I have no idea yeah. but there's this kind of I have this anxiety and the, the thing that makes this work wonderful mm. is the thing that makes it almost impossible in some cases to document in a meaningful yeah. way this finite temporal thing so um, as a maker I'm like maybe I don't care if it's not documented because for me it's about the liveness it's about the thing that vanishes while we're doing it that's yeah. what makes it great yeah. but as a scholar and someone thinking about our cultural legacy mm. of this form because things can very easily vanish from yeah. history as we have been as, well, as a woman I very much feel that's the case so yeah. I worry about the cultural legacy yeah. of, especially gaming actually I think gaming is even more in danger of, of being lost in this way mm. So do you document what you've been doing so far? Do you have any strategies or is it something you haven't really given much thought to? I hadn't until I started listening to your podcast, actually. But um, Loads have, of people have said that to me, actually. They just yeah, didn't really think of it like that. I think that comes from having an academic's point of view mm. as opposed to a performer. And like as a performer, I feel like, yeah, fuck everyone else. This is this beautiful live thing. Yeah, and that's it. It exists in the moment. And if you weren't there, fuck absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Support the arts, you jerk. Like, it's like, this is, this is a beautiful thing and I love... I love, I, I do a lot of escape rooms. I've designed a couple of escape rooms and it's that thing of like putting people in a space mm-hmm. and them having their story and their adventure exactly. and how like exciting and have their own it and is. And it's theirs, exactly. Yeah, it's their own thing. And I think that's great. Like that's yeah. what I want from art. That's why I'm so less interested in theater, traditional theatre. So I studied English at Union. So I've read yeah. loads of plays and I've seen a bunch of plays and, and it's nothing has grabbed me the way that seeing like Operation Black Antler I saw living it. through I th- I, that's yeah. the difference isn't it yeah. I'm, you're not a passive I'm not very person. interested in seeing anymore I'm much more yeah. interested in being and having and living through yeah yeah definitely and so that's what excites me but then on the other hand and this is going to happen more and more I mean my pressure comes from having to evidence and resource things in terms of PhD mm. having to evidence and resource things in terms of uh, funding yeah but I think we're seeing this more and more now from arts funding is you require evidence you require to right. show the previous, portfolios. The previous work you mean. yeah yeah um i think there's there's obviously photographs and like yeah, documenting it that way uh, i've got lots of publicity photos that would work yeah of for course that. Um, of course there is i think we're all good at that i think we're all good at photographing yeah but of course um, it just doesn't yeah, capture. I mean, I've filmed some shows, and of course it's nothing, it's just this camera. I hate back. watching filmed shows back, it's so it's awful. cringy. We used to watch them at school, like filmed. Yeah, you're like. There was an Anthony and Cleopatra that we watched, oh. like GCSE English, God. and it was so boring. So bad. The only good film, my favourite filmed theatre, is the Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, Macbeth. Oh. That is good, right. because they shot, but they shot it to be filmed. So. Right, exactly, so they're using the medium. Yeah. Absolutely. So you think um, I don't know what experience the audience had here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably not great. Yeah, but rewatching it back is all good. Yeah. So um, yeah, photographs. 
what else? Um, Give like, some documentation. Yeah. Um, we're gonna try, I, we're gonna try a GoPro thing later in the festival as well. We're okay. gonna get one of our audience members to a tame audience member to wear a GoPro for <laughs> <Tame> us. <audience. laughs> tame yeah. audience. Yeah. Because uh, no, you can't just ask a normal punter and be like, mm. hey. Can I strap this to your head? Oh, that, that was what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> do you know Brian Lobel or Lobel? I don't yes, know. Yes, I do. Yeah, so I read Purge recently, which was his, his Facebook uh, theatre piece, which yes. for those of you listening at home, um, it's. Yeah, because uh, he's at Chichester University is he? now as a lecturer, yes. I only know him through Viv. Uh, she yeah, just yeah. said, oh, my friend Brian wrote this thing, ah, you should read well, it. I met him years ago when I did a, a live art one on one festival, a live art speed date thing with Fierce in Dudley. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was Dudley. Yeah, right. So I was. Um, that's not the question. I should have in a toilet there. cubicle with him. Okay, <laughs> so that's when I first met him. Is that him. a show, or were you just? No, it was a show. <laughs> yeah. So many questions. That's what so you're doing, Dudley. Yeah, what am I doing there? And why was I in a toilet cubicle <laughs> with Brian Lavelle? Um, yeah. So and then yeah. I met him again at Brighton. So right. And now he works at Chichester University, right. I think. Okay, I was reading the script of that, um, and that's really interesting because it kind of documents how he built the show. And then the script is of one. The show is kind of a summation of the live art stuff he did yeah. to get to that point. Yes, yes. So yeah. it's kind of a distillation of a bunch of different stuff mm-hmm. that crystallised in this final script, almost yeah. like a kind of thesis piece. Um, and he talks about the kind of reason that he made the show, and the, his uh, former partner of his passed away, and dealing with the the the, yeah. the kind of despair of that. Um, so that's really cool because you get the kind of arc of why it exists and what the live art was, even though you can never experience it. Because yeah. the the show, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, is um, he bring he, he brings up his Facebook page and randomly aside he gets three people out of the audience and has get, it randomly selects a Facebook friend and then he has a minute to defend this Facebook friend. This was before this was in two thousand eleven when things were very different. You couldn't unfollow; you had to unfriend. Um, and the people have to put a little sign saying yes or no whether he should keep them as a friend based on his summation yeah. of their relationship yeah and so he was like oh i just met this guy once and we made out and i never spoke to him again you might get a no or equally you might get a yes because it's up to the audience and so it's that kind of kind of public curation of a mm. facebook thing which i think has it different now with the way things have changed but I of think it was really pertinent for that specific no, time absolutely um so he kind of outlines what the show was in mm-hmm. the script that the show became yes which is yeah. quite a good way of doing it i think because you still get to say this is why i came to this this yeah. is what the live show was and here's a kind of well i suspect that approach and i don't know this so brian if, if you do listen and you're here then you know put us straight <laughs> but because he works within that scholarly context as well this right. is what we're being push to do we have mm. to evidence the originality of the practice that we do if we're practitioner scholars which he is like me yeah. um, and so we're trying to all find performative and innovative ways but that also unfold the process mm. and, as well and contextualize the work in that way yeah so I suspect maybe that approach is driven perhaps by that agenda and that need and that pressure that we have coming mm. from the Academy to yeah. have to contextualize our work show process for the work and show its impact and its mm. environment and yeah. all of those kinds of and its reach and all of that mm. sort of thing so there's this really really strong agenda that's coming right. that's driven by the government 
and by something called the Research Excellence Framework, where we all have to submit our work and it gets evaluated and starred and rated. And mm -hmm. so all of this sort of pressure comes from that. But I think we're seeing this more and more now from the Arts Council and from other big funding yeah, bodies right. who fund things, who want you to prove impact, yeah. who want you to prove reach, who want you to document your work in a way that is accessible and in a way that can continue beyond the work. So for that's, us, that's a massive challenge. Yeah, and it's also like that saying, we're only going to fund art that we think has value based on these criteria. Yes. As opposed to make something interesting because you're an artist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, scary. yeah, there's all these pressures too. So yeah, so I'm always torn when it comes to documentation because the artist in me just says, well, I make live performance work. So mm. if you're not there, then you fucking missed it. Yeah. Tough shit. <laughs> <buddy>. <laughs> tough luck. Yeah. But then in 30 years time, what about all those students who want to learn about what happened? Yeah. What if everyone completely forgets? But does that matter then? Well, so then all these questions part of go. Wants to, ah! wants to be a baby boomer and just be like, "Fuck it, we got the great world, and we're now just screwing it up." <laughs> Sucks to be you, young people. <laughs> yeah. Want to take that approach to it and be like, "This is a time. This is an exciting time to make theatre." We everyone was making this great stuff, and we enjoyed it, and we we were the equivalent oh, of sixties people smoking drugs and exactly. fucking each other. And who cares what the next generation has to worry about? But I think you're being yeah. really responsible in a way that I have not considered until. Listening to this. But I think it's part of my job, mm. and, I, and maybe this makes me weird and sentimental, I don't know, but I think ac part of academics' job is to be cultural custodians, yeah. especially people who work in the cultural creative industries. Yeah. We are cultural custodians and we are yeah. partly responsible for that legacy and for the future yeah. and to pass on knowledge and to preserve knowledge. I think it's a really important thing that I had not considered. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I spent far too much time having to consider it but I yeah. don't have the answers yet. Yeah. I've tried many crazy shit to <laughs> find ways to experientially document experiential performance work. Yeah. And I'm writing that I don't want to say too much because I'm writing books and shit about it but um, I have I have you an idea. First, yeah, books and shit. <laughs> yeah books and shit <laughs> <laughs> that you can find out there. But mm. um, yeah I have some strategies for potentially achieving it but they're very highbrow at this stage mm. so the chances of them actually being useful in, for other people at this stage, it yeah. is slim until I can work them through, yeah. <laughs> really figure out how to apply them yeah. in a useful way. Because I, I listen, certainly for a while I was listening to a lot of retro video game podcasts where they were specifically like unearthing old games and kind yes. of re-looking at them now from a modern context and um, and a lot of that was about documentation. Mm. It was about like, we don't want these forgotten titles to just be lost because they're really digital important. Digital blackout, people are terrified of the digital blackout. I mean, mm. I've still, I've got pictures, I didn't even take that long ago. I was thinking my first piece of performance work, I took a load of photos mm. and they won't work on anything. They just went open. They just show that oh. little broken picture. And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah. I thought they were JPEGs and yeah, yet they right. won't. So actually, I think That's they might terrifying. be BMPs or whatever they, bit, you know, the old picture file but that is happening more and more and there's loads of uh, conferences happening at the moment with digital curators mm. because of this because they're saying actually we're in massive danger of losing huge swathes of digital data yeah, already wow. because technology it's moves so horrifying. quickly yeah. yeah and people just haven't thought about how you preserve things yeah. digitally well they are now they are yeah. starting to think about it now um, but that's part of I'm, that problem I'm plucking this out of nowhere but i i heard it from someone who i think knows a lot about history uh, so anyone who knows better corrects me, but I believe after the Norman Conquest, a lot of, uh, I guess, Saxon literature before that was just torched. Yeah, they just wanted. destroyed. Yeah, and you just think of, so that is true, right? I haven't just made that. No, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, okay, good. I feel like <laughs> I, mean, I, I am a, not a historian either, so yeah. it's not my area of expertise. We're both not historians, <laughs> but, you know. We're both agreeing. As far as we're aware. Yeah, but like that just makes me so sad to think of just 
the impossible wealth of any kind of literature that was just gone because yeah. of bullshit. Yeah. And yeah, I suppose the the idea of that happening to anything worth worth preserving or not, mm. like who gets to decide? Yeah. Who knows what bizarre like uh, toilet based piece of art suddenly becomes hugely important in ways we cannot exactly. even conceive. Exactly. Uh, but then the question is, what do you choose? And the to Greeks preserve? also believed that that's actually the path to immortality through art. Is through documentation, through right. your name being spoken thousands right. of years later. So Aristotle yeah, right. has achieved immortality because we still yeah. talk about him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take the point. I'd rather, I'd rather just live forever. <laughs> yeah, me physically, too. But yeah, I suppose. <laughs> see what he's going for. But yeah, apparently. So if you can find a way of kind of documenting and staying yeah. relevant and important. I mean, I, I still deliver Aristotle to my first year students. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? It's insane. Yeah. I and bet wasn't, he didn't wasn't realize... the politics just like his notes on someone else's stuff, like yes. marginalia? Yeah. Imagine that. Oh, yeah. My notes are so good. Yeah, I think pretty much every I mean, drama student in the country yeah, knows where Aristotle and Plato are. Yeah. But you know, it was easy back then to be famous, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Not much competition. <laughs> so that if we can figure out how to document, perhaps we'll figure out how to be immortal. Yeah. That's a great. That's a really good point. <laughs> but like, I think I think the like passing on lessons is so important, and I would hate the idea of a future generation missing out on this particular sway the performance. Yeah. Because it's almost too, I don't want to say too interesting. That sounds ridiculous. But it's too like ephemeral. Yeah, ephemeral. Too too pure to exist in a rubbish filmed BBC adaptation because you had to be there. Yeah, they're going to show this to school kids. You know, they're going to show Werewolf Live. I hope so. Just talk it's 30 years <laughs> in the future. If I meant to say that. On a film video. On a VR headset. <laughs> well, actually, there is a VR version of Werewolf called Werewolves Within or something, and mm -hmm. you all put your headsets on, uh, yeah. and you play online, and you can look at each other. So you can kind of... I don't think you can move, per se, but you can track each other's head movements and ah, see what okay. they're looking oh, at. Oh, to see, yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff's really interesting, so I'm sure VR will kind of yeah. bring certain elements in. But, yeah, I feel like the documentation stuff is, is so so important it's and I would, yeah. always always a thing and even now even though I know about it and it's in the forefront of my mind we'll get to the end of a show like we just had a, a show on in London a run mm. get to the end of it and I'm like shit I got no photos of the first part of the show mm. how did that happen yeah. <laughs> how did we get to this point yeah. because of course you're in the moment yeah. making it and that's what makes your show good yes you don't want to zoom out and be no. thinking and then afterwards on, on, you're it. reviewing things and you're like I ain't get any fucking pictures of yeah. this. Not so even I, one. I suppose you need to be rich enough to hire to some hire kind some of documentary. Document. Yeah, yeah. Need a documentor. Documentor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's your responsibility. Yeah. If I think anything, professional theatres have dramaturgs to do that for them. Oh right, is that what dramaturg is? Part of it can right, be what okay. they do. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be good. like, that would be lovely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but considering um, how much wedding photographers cost for one day, yeah, I can't imagine how expensive yeah. that would be. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> you have to take individual responsibility and take. Photos and like make notes and I have to always try and remind myself even though it'll be on my thing and I have a plan I'll be like right I must get photos of this this and this I must film this this and this you get into the moment you know what it's like especially in a festival context you're in and out in and out you get home and think I suppose you <laughs> I suppose you have to stage another one right yeah or you hire a photographer just for one show so yeah. for the well the the vulture uh, well shirt vaults um hire a photographer because I needed publicity yeah, of course. for future gigs. Well, we're probably so, just going to have to do, and this is what we find ourselves doing more and more actually, is recreating just for, to do photo shoots. Mm. Or you just like, things. in your schedule, you block out one 
yeah. which you're like, this is going to be the photographed one. Yes. And like you, Am I gonna you do factor this? that in before you do the run. And we have a huge ethical issue because our stuff is one on one or two on one. It's very small and intimate. Mm. It's really hard to Im- invade that intimacy, and I just can't do that to people with their experience. Mm. So yeah. I either have to find someone spare to do our dress run yeah. effectively or our tech run. Yeah. He'll sit in and be like. Can we photograph you, please? Yeah. <laughs> While you're doing these really intimate yeah. things. You should probably have asked all the people I photographed during World of Life. I just put them up on Facebook. It's like, oh, we're having fun. It's a public on. space, but you, you've got more people there. So I think, I, d- I don't know. The, the law is still fluffy in this mm. area as well. So yeah. it's a bit of a minefield. Yeah. <laughs> Until someone starts being sued, I think we're all yeah, right. I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think fine. it's fine. Um, so what next for you? Okay, a uh, million projects. Um, I'll speak about the immersive theatre ones. I'm doing a thing, so in Sydney, the Euros in Sydney, 2015, I was there because Viv's from Australia, and so we were living there for a while and I was on a visa. Um, and I got really into tabletop gaming, Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I ran, I ran this festival at the end of the year, which was kind of all my frustrations. I was, I was trying to make a, an escape room. You, you know real escape room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I got really into them when I was traveling the year before and met a guy in Turkey who was building his own. I was like, I can build my own. I'd make a great room escape game. Yeah, yeah. And so I built this one in, in Viv's mum's, she had a little studio flat out the back that she rented out on Airbnb. I was uh-huh. like, I'm going to... Yeah. With your to, permission, I'm going to turn into a escape room. I'm going to turn into a escape room as a kind of proof of concept to prove to myself I could do yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And so it was this little granny flat, and I turned it into a, like a serial killer's apartment, and it was oh, kind of set up lovely. as a museum for the guy that used to live there. So mm-hmm. people were buying tickets to an escape. It was an escape room, but yeah. it was a come and see the tour of Mike Andrews' house, preserved exactly as it was when he lived there. And then you get locked in, and I was running it, and I was like, "Yeah, sorry, I've trapped you in there. Mike Andrews is going to be back in an hour. He's still around. Uh, really sorry." Uh, you know, you've done, don't, it was this kind of weird character where I was like, don't bother trying to escape. It was like, did you ever play Portal 2? Or did no, you no, but one of my friends has. Uh, so Stephen Merchant plays this little robot in it who's just really, he's really stupid. And he's constantly, it's a really nice way of drip feeding you advice. Where he's like, don't bother trying to escape. It's impossible. Can't do it. Can't escape. This is uh, impregnable. Don't, don't even try. <laughs> yes. uh, and he's doing this thing of like, you need to escape. You need and to so, escape. Get yeah, out. It was, it was that kind of character. And... Um, so I was constantly like giving them clues, being like, don't bother, don't bother looking through there, nothing, nothing in there, don't even bother looking. And it was that thing, and it was this hour-long escape room, but because it was just me, mm-hmm. we had like a computer on Skype as the camera so we could see into the room. Yes, it was me yeah, and Walkie yeah, Talkie, yeah. like, because just in the house. <laughs> it was like super low budget. And I, I did, just did it for free, like I bought all the stuff from a charity shop around the corner. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it's supposed to be quite childish, so I could find like some toys and I put it in. And um, it was great, I really loved it. I was like, right, I can do this, this is, I feel super confident. I've lots of people whose opinions I really respect have really enjoyed this thing. I just need to find a space, and so I spent most of 2015 trying to find, find a the fucking theatre space Story in Sydney. And Sydney is the worst for this. The really? real the real estate market in Sydney is abominable. There's just successive governments. Surprises me because I was under the impression there's quite a sort of fringy scene. Yeah, I mean the Sydney the Sydney fringe I think is is quite good, but. Um, just in terms of, because I wasn't really looking for a theatre space, it was more like... Of course. One of our ideas with, with Pierce Wilcox, the guy I was designing it with, was um, how about uh, like an office space? And then we could we had this great mm. idea for this. You, you were coming for a job interview at this company, so the first room was going to be this very... Um, the puzzle, it was, again, portal-esque. The puzzles were very obvious, like insert red key into red hole. Good job, you're doing really well. And then as you break through, the, the as you continue in the game you start getting a second voice in your ear going, 
be careful like when on to you make sure you make sure you watch your back and then you complete the first set of easy puzzles mm-hmm. and the voice is like go through the door on the left go through the door on the they're not looking at the and as you go through there you enter a second room which is designed as an actual office and like the chair spins mm-hmm. as if someone's just left and all the stuff on the walls are appraisals of the game you were just doing Great, so like okay, we would pull yeah, their stuff yeah. up on Facebook. I'm saying yeah, like this yeah, happened. Yeah. We didn't get the space because it fell through. But I'm just kind of sharing my this tor- is, my torture vision. This is the big, and I've had exactly the same issues. I don't want to use a theatre space. I don't want to use a black box. Yeah. I need other spaces. And yeah. they are even in London. It's yeah. I don't even know why the, the costs are just prohibitive yeah. entirely. I don't know how people who've got them have managed to fund getting hold of those yeah. spaces. The, but this one, is an ongoing the, issue with everyone I spoke to who doesn't use. Theatre spaces, yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. So, so we had this great idea for a game, and we it was yeah. So the second half of the game was you kind of, the first was really gamey, and then yeah. it was clearly these are puzzles, and the second was like just look to that guy's desk because he's gone. Right. And so it was really like two different like styles of game, which I was really interested in. It was like you were being watched, and then all your Facebook stuff is on the walls because we've actually looked up your Facebook profile yeah. while you're playing. Yeah, yeah. So I was really excited to do that, and we found That'd an office space. Uh-huh. And then they were just like, yeah, sorry, we're going to give it to someone else. I don't know who it was in the end. But Office that is going to pay loads of money to yeah, have it, probably. Exactly. <laughs> who cares about the arts? Um, but yeah, so I, I designed, ended up designing two room escapes. The first was the serial killer one. The second, I, I ended up hiring out a theatre space to do a festival, mm-hmm. um, which I had, suddenly we realised the space was free. Viv found it on Facebook and I was like, okay, that's available in a couple of weeks. Should we just do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hire it out. Yeah, let's, yeah, do yeah. It. let's do it. Just, just do it. And so I was like, um, it's a festival of games. I call it Game Fest, and that was the name really? that I came up with. We did some like really last-minute marketing, and that was where I developed this love for like I'm going to take an existing game and I'm going to kind of theatricalize it. Mm-hmm. So there was a game. There's a game called Two Rooms and a Boom, which is a kind of hostage negotiation thing where you split the players up and there's red team and blue team, but they're all mixed up together. Um, and you have a card which will be red or blue, and then a particular role if you have one, but mainly they're just red and blue. Reds are the anarchists and the blue, I think, in this version of the, uh, the, uh, the government. Tourist. Um, yeah, <laughs> so the red players are all normal apart from one who is the bomber, and the blue players okay. are all normal apart from one who is the president. And your, your goal is to kind of figure out who in your room is on your team by talking to them, and sh- you can show them like your colour of your card, maybe mm-hmm. not what's on it. If you want, you can do all sorts of sharing stuff. Then at the end of five minutes, you elect a leader in that room, in each room, and the leaders decide five hostages to switch between rooms. Uh, so you have this hostage exchange and then you have a next round which is four minutes and then four switch I might be getting the numbers wrong but it's okay, d- successive yeah, yeah, rounds yeah, yeah. and in each one fewer people are switched uh, and the goal is at the end if you're on the red team is to have the bomber end up in the same room as the president then the president is blown up blown and the red up. team win and oh, the blue yeah, team is opposite. so it's uh, similar to werewolf in that it's about lying or telling the truth about your cards but it's very much um, negotiation negotiation yeah and the, the only problem with it is it just comes down to the final decision everything else is moot really because as long as you get the last one right you win yeah so that's the kind of flaw with it but i dressed it up as a cocktail party so we had there was a bar in the restaurant in the theater everyone was having drinks and we hired a jazz band to be the entertainment oh great and so we kind of hosted it as a as a mini cocktail party which then gets attacked by terrorists uh and then you lead into the game as if it's a real thing so it's similar to werewolf and that it's an existing game and the, the the show is play the game but in a way that you can't do at home. Yes, it's like you yeah, jazz exactly. it up a bit, you give it some atmosphere, you give it some pizzazz, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just helps people, particularly with more role play games, get into it a lot more. Yeah. So the whole thing... A lot thing, of people think it's very nerdy or geeky and it's kind of not for them, which mm. actually isn't 
necessarily the case yeah. either. So and I think that's, I think what you're doing is is making that kind of gaming much more accessible. I'm, I'm proselytizing for the, for the gaming. <laughs> Exactly, because I think people look at D and D and laughing and go, well, no, 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 that's not for me at all. Mm. When it's actually, so fun. it's so it's fun. The best. It's the best. <laughs> I did my first LARP last year, and it was so nerdy. Like I haven't real done one, and I really nerdy. want to. It was really great. I had such a good time. Ben um, wants to invite me along to a LARP. Feel yeah, free. <laughs> you really should. But um, but yeah, I went, I, there's a werewolf group in Brighton. They meet every Monday to play werewolves. Yes, and, yeah. Um, yeah. I ran a live show for them this week on Monday and they, I think they really enjoyed it. But um, mm-hmm. they were saying they play a really in-depth version of the game with like 30 rolls and it's uh, okay. really intense. You yeah. have to really have your head screwed on and you're, follow, you're like, it's much more kind of mathematical and it's, um, it's about deducing by statistics, not reading people. Yeah, yeah. And for me, that's not what I like Werewolf. But that takes time as well, doesn't it? It takes a long time to build up the knowledge that yeah, you need to exactly. play that game well. So, so they were saying, yeah, and they were saying um, they have a really good core group, but it's really hard to get new people to come along because, as you say, there's that quite high barrier to entry. And I had a really good time playing with them. It was actually really fun. But um, I think a lot of people turned up this, for the thing I did because it was a bit more low key. Yeah. And I think what I do is a really good entry level into something more substantial. Absolutely. And it's almost like the two games are different beasts. Like they're yeah, both yeah. werewolf, but theirs is so much more technical and so much more challenging. That it's almost like you want to play mine for a bit, and then you're like, all right, I fancy something a bit more, a bit more meaty. I'll yeah, go for yeah, theirs. yeah. So it's and kind of werewolf light. Yeah, <laughs> and they're both really valid. But it, it, for me, the thing I'm interested in is body language and reading people and uh, how people react under pressure. Mm-hmm. Like I'm less interested in gaming out the numbers. Yeah. Even yeah. though I totally get yeah, why yeah. that's satisfying. Absolutely. Um, but particularly in a theatre context, I love watching people like squirm in their seat because they're well, guilty. Well, that's what becomes or, like, interesting being shifted. To, to watch. I think mm. for the audience, if you're gonna play in front of an audience I think that's yeah. what becomes interesting for an audience who aren't so involved in that heavier kind of side of it because yeah. the joy that comes from watching that because of course there's a huge scene of that as well mm. is is actually the, the lovely nerdiness of everyone knowing fully what's going on in that yeah. room but I think what you're doing is much more about that kind of human mm. moment and those human interactions yeah so and that's just that's what I think is so so interesting about games and I like I've played it with so many people and genuinely think like it is a game for everyone yeah like, once my granddad enjoyed it i was like yeah. right this is universal i can't imagine and i've had some some quite difficult people in one of the corporate ones it was quite tough but even then like it was great like got him on board i've said it far too often now and my grand doesn't even listen to this she would never <laughs> listen to this come on grand she doesn't have the internet so what? yeah Keep up. I know, I know. So I know for a fact she won't listen. (laughs) (laughs) So grand. But that's one of the things I always have to kind of ask myself is when I'm trying to plot things through and sort out mechanics and Mm. rules, I'm like, well, Banana understand this. Mm. (laughs) If she would, then it's probably accessible and people will be able to inhabit it easily. Yeah, and I think there's a real argument for simplicity. I don't see it as a bad thing at all. I think it's really, like, this work should be for as many people as possible. Yeah, I agree. As long as you're not... As long as you're not kind of compromising on it by mm-hmm. making it too basic, like I think simplicity is brilliant. Well, I come from a live art background, which is mm. extremely at times pretentious. Yeah. And I'm really interested in because I think actually the things that underpin live art are really fundamentally interesting and engaging. I think for everyone and and. Mm. Uh, virtuous in some respects, but I think it sometimes gets lost in the really high end kind of live art stuff and so I'm really yeah. interested in making it accessible yeah. 
and something that because most people will just dismiss live art and say well it's not for me or I'm not interested yeah. and I'm like I it's don't not believe good for that's the case and I think yeah. I can potentially get someone to find a way that's accessible for them mm. to engage in that which is why I always yeah. say would my nan understand yeah. this and would she be able to make her way through this yeah. and if she could good because yeah. it means most people will be able to do that yeah. um, to go back to your question ages ago that I seem to have dodged uh, the, the next thing I'm doing I'm writing a yes. bunch of stuff which is not immersive um, playing a short film but the the immersive thing was something I again I almost did in Sydney in 2015 one of my frustrated projects but I'm going back there in August and I'm determined to do it so if you're if you live in Sydney look out for this it's going to be called the silent zone and if you have any space on offer yeah yeah if you've got a spare anything I'll take it but this one this is great it doesn't need space so Ooh. it is um it's, it's a live game so oh we didn't even talk about mega games Maybe that's for another time. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Everyone I spoke to, we never get through everything I want to talk about. Yeah. So it just, it's an excuse to get together and talk again. Yeah, absolutely. There's <laughs> there's things called mega games, which are kind of role-playing, board game, theatre, all mixed into one. I'm doing one on Sunday in Brighton called Watch the Skies, which is like a United oh. Nations alien invasion thing yeah. where you all play different representatives of countries. Yes, I have heard about oh, this. Have heard, yeah. I have heard about this, yeah. So I designed my own one of those, which I did at the festival oh. called Bring Them Home, which is based mm -hmm. on The Martian where one player is an astronaut careening through space and yep. everyone else is representatives of these space agencies and they're all trying to send messages and use technology to help the astronaut mm -hmm. but they want to be the agency that gets the credit <laughs> and there's an independent press team that goes around like talking to people and going what did you do how did you do yeah. it and the press team is the one who gives out the points that ah, win the game okay, so it's okay. about relationships and it's about having a good relationship with the press and the press have their own objectives yes. so you've got to give them interviews and things that they might need yeah. and if you piss them off then they won't give you stuff and so all of that's just lovely and fascinating and that, that's a thing I want to do more with but the silent zone is going to be kind of a mega game but it's also like a, like a live action thing where everyone everyone proceeds there's an area of Sydney called Newtown which is this kind of residential area which is it's kind of the Camden of Sydney yeah yeah in, in that it used to be cool and is now being brutalized by gentrification and it's a shadow of its former self absolutely uh, but it's still quite good but lots of <laughs> I've got lots of friends who live there and there's lots of theater and stuff going on it's really cool but there's a school like whack bang in this kind of residential area um, and so all the players it's probably gonna have about 50 players um, they were gonna meet I shouldn't say too much about this I'll give you a rough yeah idea. this is the trouble isn't it, with this kind of work is to try and explain anything yeah. it's like spoiler 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 yeah. spoiler but the, the basic idea people meet at this church uh, the school and they are given a briefing that there's been this new facility opened in the area government facility and just in case of any disasters it's our like legal obligation to inform you that this is where you need to go this is your kind of safe house that you need to go to and and you have a questionnaire and it's done in a kind of light-hearted style which is like you see a tentacled beast walking towards you in a street do you a hit it do you b run away do you see uh like get a friend over so and these questions are important because they determine the class the role that you're given within the game but okay. you don't know that at the time you're just yeah, answering yeah, these yeah, questions yeah. um and then as soon as all the questionnaires are done there is a, a siren of some sort there is an announcement and the groups the 50 players are split into groups of 10 uh four groups of 10 and then a separate team they all go to different safe houses which are just friends houses in newtown that we've agreed beforehand within a certain grid yeah. reference wow, okay. um, and they go to these houses and these houses are their base for the whole game and they meet uh -huh. a survivor there who is the person that briefs them so like a few weeks have passed since the school bit they're now in a you're in a lockdown in this area because of this facility this mysterious thing yeah and the but then the different groups are forced to survive the rest of the day it's a day-long experience by and you'll be given a crisis like um 
there is a power shortage, you need to input this many of your tokens in order to maintain your power for this round. Like, mm. I won't go into all the different yeah, things. Yeah, there yeah, are different yeah. kind of uh, resources, basically. Okay. And so you have an hour within which to provide the various bits that you need in order to achieve that objective. And so if you don't, different stuff happens. So it's almost like a giant escape room, like a day-long yeah. sort of But the different roles you have allow you to do different escape. things. Sorry, I totally talked no, to you there. Um, so if you have a bandana, you're allowed to go out and scavenge in the streets, and there are, like, supply drops that we would place in different areas, and everyone would be informed... And depending on your different stats, you might get a notification of the supply drop earlier than another group, depending on what your communications are. Yeah. So then you are, then you literally have to run out and grab this stuff and get it back to your base. But then all the other groups are trying to do the same thing, so it becomes this kind of yeah. game of like finding the resources first, basically. So it's like scavenger hunt cross. It's like yeah, it's almost like a hybrid between a scavenger hunt and an escape room yeah, in yeah. some respects. And then you can kind of team up with the different teams or you can screw them over or you can work mm. together. Um, but then after a certain amount of time, the reality of the facility and what they were doing there means new elements are added to the streets. Mm -hmm. I won't say too much. That's about. very ambitious and that I'm assuming that's going to take huge logistical Yeah, I mean, I've, all the stuff I've done has been like, what's the cheapest, most effective way we can do this? So. The main cost would be, as long as we can get the houses, I kind yeah, of got yeah, about 90% yeah. of the logistics in place and then okay. I had to go back to the UK, this is in 2015. Yeah, yeah. So it's all kind of planned, and like I'd spoken to the school and we got all that. Yeah. As long as I can get the school and the houses and can afford to pay the, bodies, the extras, yeah. then, and we would charge like $50 Australian. Yeah, it's a like, full day yeah, it's a experience, experience, so you'd expect to pay for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so certain players are, like, their role is, the, the homesteader was one of the categories that Pierce came up with, which is someone who has to create the, like, the story of their tribe. Mm -hmm. So their group, so they would be, like, make, making a poem or, a, or oh, making a banner okay. or something that would allow them to kind of convey who their group was. was so there yeah. are people at home who are responsible for kind of building the myth of the tribe. There are people who are running out and collecting stuff. There are people who... So it's documenting itself within the performance Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's so true. Um, and so it's really ambitious and it might fall flat on its face, but just to, for me, it doesn't really matter as long as I can get people to yeah. be in different teams and participate I in this thing. I think the more gorilla kind of work there is like this, the better, because I think at the moment there's this, there's a massive distinction between the kind of high-end, kind of immersive, very, very well-funded yeah. um, pieces that are happening, and you pay accordingly. Mm. Um, and yeah. then there is kind of everyone else. Yeah. It's, it's this huge yeah. gap, actually, between the practices. And I actually, the most exciting things are things that have changed how I feel about things, the things mm. that have actually affected me have yeah. always been on the gorilla yeah. end of things. And that's what I'm interested in. I don't give a yeah. shit about having a huge budget and doing some massive overblown project. No. I want to just get people on the streets doing like yeah. rough and ready stuff. Yeah, it's exactly. exciting and nasty. And well, when we were kids, we were good at that. You could pick up a stick and <coughs> make a game and play. Yeah. And um, that still appeals to me, and that's still the mm. mentality, I think, that I have that drives my work, and it yeah. sounds very much like you're yeah. the same. I grab whatever bits and bobs I can and yeah. try and make something special yeah. out of those things. Yeah, and it will be more special because you didn't have this huge budget, and yeah. so you require people to get involved and imagine. And but also it stays accessible then, because of course yeah. you don't have to charge £200. Yes, I'm just not ticket. interested in that. Like, yeah. the escape room I made cost me like 50 quid. Obviously yeah. I had the space, which was so much the space cost. yeah because that's all like, the cost oh, just got a free house it was really easy <laughs> um yeah and without that i couldn't do it but 
the actual room itself, and, and it was the thing you've talked about a lot, which is kind of building stuff around the space. Yeah. So I had this house already laid out, it was only like two rooms, so I could be like, right, this is the living room, the bed's going to stay there, I'm going to add some stuff to that table, I'm going to redress that, I'm going to put a puzzle there. And it's like, yeah. I didn't change very much. That reworking of, <coughs> of reality in some ways. Yeah. So what is the best way? We're going to have to start to wind up because I think Sorry, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably like gone midnight or something right yeah. now. Yeah, we're dedicated people. Yeah. <laughs> Middle of the night, in the fridge. Gorilla style. <laughs> the way it is. Yeah. <clears throat> what is the best way for people to keep up to date with what it is you're doing? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, my website is johngracie.sexy. It's true. I bought the uh, dot sexy uh, suffix. That's J O N G R A C E Y. I have all my various projects that are on the go there. Brilliant. You can also go to werewolflive.co.uk for any werewolf updates. Um, Do you have a Twitter handle? Yes, at John Gracie. J O N G R A C E Y. Um, On Twitter, on Instagram, Fifty Shades of Gracie. Pretty pleased with that. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. (laughs) A lot of puns. Yeah, and I. If you are in Australia in August, um, I will hopefully reach you somehow by the, by the magic of Facebook, and we'll do the Silent Zone, and it's going to blow your mind. It's going to be the best. So keep your. I have to do it now. I said it. Like, yeah, exactly. You've said it, so it's going to go ahead. Yeah. So if you're in Sydney, <laughs> when will this go out roughly? Um, <clears throat> it will either go out this month or at some point probably next month. Great. So you have so. no excuse. It's way, so August 2017, the Silent Zone will be, or possibly September. Yeah, uh, in Sydney. Australia. Get there. If, if, if you're there. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can afford to get on a plane and get there, just you do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll be really jealous. Yeah, it's going to be really great. I'm really, really excited about it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it was a pleasure. I know you're probably exhausted after doing your show tonight. Oh, I've, but, um, I've had so many thoughts. It's been really nice to talk about it. It's them. been wonderful. So thank yeah. you very, very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, I know there were some moments of disruption and a little bit of noise. The trouble is, is when you're going out to meet people in the spaces where they make work, and particularly in a festival situation, it's really challenging to find a quiet space for a sustained period of time. But I hope it wasn't too disruptive. It was just a few people bringing props in and out ready for the next show um, while we were sat in a little container behind the performance space. Now, I am so busy at the moment that I find myself perpetually apologising for not getting round to things getting done in a timely fashion and Tate is no exception I'm afraid. As I said last month I did capture lots of content during Brighton Fringe Festival and due to a whole host of circumstances I have still not fully really sorted through everything. Now I'm moving house and jobs over the summer so I will do my best to let you have some of that additional content but for now again I'm not going to make any promises. There will be an episode in August but at this stage I'm not entirely sure what that will be so I'm not going to say anything about that at this stage other than there will be something coming out to you probably recorded during the Brighton Fringe Festival. As ever I would love to hear from you all on Twitter, Facebook, or you can email me directly, talking about immersive theatre at gmail.com. Um, and I really love to hear where you're listening, your thoughts about the episodes, any suggestions that you might have are very welcome. Now, I do have some exciting bits and bobs that I'd like to share with you. Um, so, two of the first things I wanted to just kind of draw your attention to are publication based and then the other things are kind of performance based and I just thought 
Being that you're listening and interested in immersive theatre, you might be interested in these things too. So um, I very recently had a chapter in a collected edition of a book. Um, I co-wrote it uh, with Kirsty Sedgman. And it's in a book called Documenting Performance, The Context and Processes of Digital Curation and Archiving. And that was edited by Tony Sant. So you can find that on Amazon and in all the usual places that books are. And it's actually about the different ways um, scholars are working to try to capture, document and archive these kind of experiential practices. So that's well worth having a look. Um, And I've just had a journal article come out in a wonderful um, online journal called Partake, which is P-A-R-T-A-K-E. So P-A-R stands for Practices Research, so Partake. Um, And that journal article is called The Reflective Participant, Remembering and Remembrance, A Synesthetic Approach to the Documentation of Audience Experience. And that is in a special issue that is available and free to download online so do go and have a little look at that it might be something that interests you so that's the two publication things Um, and the other two exciting things that are coming up that I wanted you to be aware of is firstly on the 4th of July so very very soon um, there's going to be a sharing at the fly pit and it's called the lighthouse sharing and it's on 7 p.m till 11 p.m and the website is www.theflypit.com and it's going to be an evening of interactive immersive type scratch performances I think it's a fiver to get in I'm going to be sharing a piece of Vertical Exchange Performance Collective's work there as well so it'd be lovely to see you if you're about in the Norwood Croydon area do come and see what we're all up to there's going to be lots of other artists on the bill as well so come and see what's going on there Uh, And the final thing I wanted to draw your attention to is I'm going to be participating in Greenhouse Interactive and Immersive Theatre Making Workshops, which are run by Lab Collective. I think there are still some spaces available on that. And it's the 15th and 16th of July. um, And that's in London again. Um, But this time what I'm going to be doing is participating, hopefully recording some interviews with some of the other participants and also recording uh, a minisode or an extrasode Uh, with Joe and Nat who are going to be running the workshop so I'm really excited about participating in that so again you can find all of the information about that on the Lab Collective's website so do go and have a look. Okay that was loads and loads of stuff but I think that is everything that I wanted to tell you about for now. If anything else comes up I will do a minisode or an extrasode to let you know but until next month have a lovely summer bye!